welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. We've known many of you, not all of you, of course, for decades now. And we've had the privilege of knowing Blake and Adrian for decades. And, and uh, you know, the thing about, about good Christian friends is that as you grow in grace, you realize that you might have some differences of perspective or opinion, but there's something deeper inside. The thing about a Christian relationship is that you're, you're bound together by something eternal that doesn't fade away like styles and fashion and preferences do, so that you find over the course of, of a lifetime that there is a deep love that grows and builds in your heart, in your soul, that goes beyond anything that can be seen. This is what we all want to aspire to have. This is what we all strive for, because this is the thing that brings fulfillment and satisfaction to our hearts. Gene alluded to it. You only get that firstly from your relationship with God, because if you want to have enough love from your brothers and sisters to sustain you spiritually, you'll end up being brokenhearted and disappointed because you can't carry me. You can't answer all my needs. You can't answer all my problems. You can't can't fix me. But somewhere in my relationship with God, when I encounter him in my brokenness and in my emptiness, in those places I don't want you to know about, he's able to touch, he's able to restore, he's able to make me better, he's able to, to do a work that not just touches me, but transcends me and flows into somebody else's heart and life and brings healing. This is what it means to be a Christian. I thought this because Gene referenced Hope. The name of the church has gone from Connect to Hope City, and it's a beautiful connection to be made there. But the thing about hope is that most of us hope in too shallow of a fashion. We, we have hopes that we'll have enough money for Christmas, and that's a viable hope. We have hope that our wayward children will sort themselves out. We have, we have hopes that we'll get a good grade in school. Those are, those are legitimate hopes. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's not just touching those surface, mundane, everyday things. It's talking about the kind of hope that you carry on with so that when all reason for hope is gone, when hope is exhausted, when hope is unreasonable, that there is a supernatural hope that will be fulfilled because of the promise of God into your life. We see this in Abraham's life. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is just a big comma in there between chapter 12 and 14, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul begins to talk about the love of God. concludes in 1 Corinthians 13 with verse 13, and he says, now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. He says that love is is the greatest, and love is the greatest because it's a standalone deal. It'll still be there. You'll still know you have value to God when all of your faith seems to have failed, when all of your hopes seem to have been dashed. This takes much courage. This takes much courage to to continue to hope when it just absolutely looks like it's never going to come to pass. I don't know if you ever notice this about Abraham's life, for instance, but it comes to me right now. 
God waited until it was clear to Abraham and Sarah that they couldn't have any children before they ever had children. It wasn't because that was when he had the idea. It was because he knew that they had to know that it was beyond their capacity to answer their own problem. That they had to be at a place where only God could come through. So sometimes in my life, sometimes in your life, my hope gets discouraged, my hope gets dashed, and I think God's not coming through. But he is. He's just waiting until David understands that it wasn't his cleverness, it wasn't his strength, it wasn't his own ability, it wasn't the fact that he just kept trying again. It's that somewhere in there, I have to realize and you have to realize, we have to give up in worshiping our own will and our own abilities and thinking that we have the capacity to make God's promises to come to pass because none of us saved ourselves, none of us can keep ourselves safe, <clears throat> and none of us can make God's word come to fruition in our life. That verse said, now abides faith, hope, and love. Love's the greatest, it's self-sustaining, but faith and hope lean upon each other. In my beginnings as a believer, we made much out of faith, and much needs to be made out of faith again. Not so that it'll get your everyday needs met, perhaps solely, but because we need to believe God because whatever's not of faith is sin. We made much out of faith, and we had the presumption that if love was the greatest, then maybe faith was the second greatest, but I think it's hope. I think it's hope. Because faith gives substance to things hoped for. You have to have a hope, and only God can birth that hope fully and deeply into your heart so that no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what seems to be taking place, you can have a confidence that you serve a supernatural God and through your intimate relationship with him that he can fulfill his promise and his good word into your heart and life. We live, as someone wise said, in a world of unbelief. That's the default setting. You live in a world where unbelief is the natural, the natural base setting. For you to have hope, for you to have faith, for you to have love requires you to tap in to a relationship with an eternal God that goes beyond what any other human being can give you. And he's going to do that increasingly, profoundly. Sometimes it's so slowly, Charmaine, you don't always see the changes being made. But sweetheart, they're being made. They're just being made. They're being made in his divine order. They're being made so deeply. They're being made so completely that one day you look around in 10 years, maybe in 20 years, and you don't really know when things actually changed. You couldn't go back and look into your history and say, this is when my life changed, Cameron. You might have some steps where you see, but it's always that constant working in you, both the willing to do of his good pleasure, that's working on the inside of you that, that just becomes so natural. It's like breathing. You don't realize when it's taking place. He's working even when you don't see him working. And he's doing this. He's doing this to restore. Sometimes he can't restore as quickly as you and I wish. Sometimes he can't break out in our lives as profoundly as you and I wish. 
because you and I are not ready for that great breakthrough and that great breakout. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at a scripture, and I know we looked at this a bit the last time, but we're going to look at a bit of a different angle. And I thank you for the chance. I thank you for the opportunity of uh, being able to speak to your hearts. We trust, we believe in all that's said and done in every church service that you have and every relationship that you build. That he's further strengthened you and knits you together with his own heart, with his own life. And in that knitting, he knits you together with other men and women of this house, of another house, of other places, of other members of the body of Christ worldwide so that you feel like you belong, so that you feel like you are connected, so that you understand that you're being supported, that you're being strengthened, that you're being equipped. In Ephesians chapter 3, That's me. I'm going to play on the keyboard for a while. I'm going to give an altar call maybe. Oh, happy days. <laughs> uh, this is a prayer, and I know we looked at this the last time. But we're going to look a little bit different, a different angle. For he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, from whom all fatherhood derives, all familyhood derives its name and nature. Maybe I didn't say this to you last time, but I'm going to say it whether I did or not. The reason most of the trouble you've had in your life has come is to dissuade you that a father cannot be trusted and that a family is not a real thing. All of the trouble you had with your dads, all the trouble you had with your brothers and your sisters, all the grief, all the feelings about family, about even manhood in the world today are a demonical aim at causing you to not trust in he whose essential nature is to create family. That's why I always read this verse like it's written in the Greek. It's like from whom all family and familyhood, from whom all fathers and fatherhood derive both their name and their nature. Because if the only God my son knows, our son knows, is the God that me and Gene showed him in his life growing up, no matter how well we intended or how hard we tried, it's not going to be sufficient. At some point, he'll have to have the capacity to push us aside as good examples or bad examples and look to the one Father in whom there is no shadow, no variation in turning, who's always good, who's only good, who doesn't pinch him when he stands on the platform. <laughs> nah, not that much Sam never needs to be pinched, son. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you and we're going to look at this, to be strengthened with power or strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner being. The word in there, that preposition, should be into your inner being. And this is, this is one of the pictures that I want to draw, but we'll, we'll read on and I'll flip back to it. So that, in order that, for the hope that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So evidently, even though he's known these people for decades, known, the, known of this church, Christ really wasn't fully manifested in their presence like he thought he should be. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love. Two different metaphors there. Rooted means like a tree root drawing life from Christ. Founded is like a foundation, like you're built on Christ. And they have two different, two different ideas. Maybe an offensive and a defensive line here. On the offensive side, we are drawing life from Christ to build ourselves up because there's no life, there's no love that you can draw except that what comes from him that will actually have the strength and the quality to sustain you. But you have to have a defensive line. You have to have a foundation too because your brothers and sisters and your circumstances in life are going to tempt you and try to knock you off the love walk. So you have to draw life and love from him but you have to make a determination that even though you've been fed by him, you're still going to stand, you're going to stand steady, you're going to stand strong. So Christ that may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend or strength to understand or strength to reach out and grasp with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and ultimately to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So, verse 18 talks about having strength. We think about having, excuse me, 16. Yep, strength with power through his spirit in your inner man. But verse 18 said, have strength to comprehend. So, he's talking about you having strength. And we, we tend to think about having strength like strength is primarily limited to the ability to do something. And, and like this phrase, strengthen with mites in Ephesians two or three different times, and we always think about, like, having strength to work a miracle, right? Can I get a witness? We have strength to overcome. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. As true as all this is, this exact context is a strength to understand or to grasp something. And what he's saying you have to have the strength to grasp is what God's love is. So we're going to talk about, for just a few minutes, why you have to have strength to understand love. You'd think you'd have to have wisdom. You'd think you'd have to have grace. You'd think you'd have to have favor. You'd think you'd have to have just understanding itself. But why, why is strength required to understand love? Earlier on in the, in the verse that talked about strengthening with might in his inner man, by his, in your inner man by his spirit, I remarked, and probably did the last time, that that word is really into your spirit. So he's talking about, smart guys say this, it's a word for penetrating. He's wanting to not just put something on you, but to work something deeply inside of you. Anybody besides me ever wonder how wet the bottom of the ocean was? Jake said, no, Dad, don't do that. Well, you know, you know that water doesn't just sit there, right? That water, that water sinks into the ground because it's under a lot of weight. When you carry the Spirit of God around on the inside of you, you're not just a glass. You're not just an impermeable container. You're not something that's got hard sides that are stronger than the water. You're like the soil at the bottom of the ocean. You're like, you're like a a clay jar with a liquid in it. If it's, not, if it's not treated, whatever that liquid is sinks into that clay jar. Whatever that fluid is sinks into that substance. 
So the point that he's making when he says that he might strengthen you with might through his spirit into your inner man, he's saying it's not just enough that you carry a little bit around. We all know that even though we believe in a spirit-filled doctrine, that there are times that our glass is half empty or half full. We know, that, we know that there are times that our glass is fuller. We know that there are times that we might even overflow for a little bit. But we also know that most of the time in life, we just carry around about two fingers worth of drink down at the bottom of the glass. That we just got just enough there to stay alive and keep moving forward because it takes a lot of effort to fill that glass up. Why? Because you're walking through life and you're bumping into people. You're in a, in a crowded room of life and your drink is sloshing. You're spilling stuff. So you'll walk along and you'll say, I'm just born again and I'm just happy. I'm just filled with the Spirit. I just talk in tongues. I just love everybody. And somebody, somebody says, that is really an ugly shirt you got on there. You say, whoop, I just spilled some of my drink. That's my favorite shirt. If you don't like my favorite shirt, you don't like me. God told me to wear this shirt today. And if God told me to wear this shirt today and you don't like my shirt, then either I miss God, whoops, I spilled some more, or you're wrong, I spill some more again. Life is like that. You, you, you leak, you, you, you expend the presence and the grace and the gift of God on the inside of you. So he's not just saying to us today that he wants to put a little bit of something on the inside of us for us to slosh around through life so we can have a little bit in our glass so we can look like we're having a good time at the party. He's saying, I want to reach into your life into the very essence of your life and actually permeate who you are. I want my presence to make contact with that part of you that resists me, with that part of you where you don't want anything to sink down into, to sink down into that part of you where you're afraid if it sinks into the soil of your heart deeply. That you're afraid that if it works its way into you, that somewhere along the line you might lose your personality. You might lose your identity. You might be changed from image to image and glory to glory. But you might not get to have control of what that change looks like. Jean used to say to me when we were young in the ministry, she'd say, she believed this too, she said, I like change. I like change. I like change. I like change. I stopped her one day and said, no, you do not like change. I know of a personal, I can give my testimony in the Supreme Court. You do not like change. What you like is the change you like. You like the change. You like the change. It's your idea. You don't like anybody else's idea of change. I suspect we're all like that. We like new stuff. But we really like it best when it's our idea or at the very best when it doesn't contradict who we are and who we've become. It's probably so easy that a Christian that's been a Christian as long as I have, I don't have to grow another day if I don't want to grow. I don't have to change. None of us ever do. But I could still have a modestly successful ministry and never grow one more day in my life spiritually. I don't know how long it lasts, but I don't have to change anything because if I'm changing for you, you all think I've probably changed enough. 
if I'm not changing for him or if I'm making my adjustments to my future in life by whether you think I'm cool or not, then I can stop because this is as close to cool as I'm ever going to get. That ship sailed. It's gone. So I can just stop right here on the spot, and I can, st I can preach to you things I've known for 20 years. I can share my heart with you. And in some cases, there'd be things, gee, I never thought about that. They'd be good for you. You'd grow. You'd develop. But if I do that, I'm just giving you the drink of that untainted liquid I've been carrying around that's never penetrated into the depth of the soil of my heart. Jesus used a word picture to talk about the soil of your heart and the word sinking in it. Uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that we have, this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It says some beautiful things in that verse, but for time we're not going to go there. I'm going to make one more point today after this. But he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are, in some version, like a clay pot. We are, in most regards, like a, an untempered clay pot. We tend to take on the flavor of whatever's poured into the inside of us. We tend to be tainted just like a clay pot that you bought at the garden store if it had not been tempered you poured something into it whatever that fluid is it'll penetrate into the lining of that container is that not true if it's untempered if you were to pour gasoline in it i suspect by the pouring of gasoline into that untempered clay pot you'd completely ruin that pot because you'd never be able to completely get the smell, the flavor, the taint of the fuel oil out of it. It would be forever there. We live in a society where we try real hard to be what God wants us to be. But we all inevitably come to a place where we see the cracks and the broken pieces of who we are and our experiences we see those things as something to disqualify us from God and using us. We, we tend, maybe you've not really consciously thought to sin, forgive me for it, but we, we tend to live in an environment where we really push hard to be a good Christian until we keep encountering ourselves so that we cannot, I could just put this down, You just did this to embarrass me, didn't you? Good job. Good job. It worked. <laughs> you mean there's people up there? I was looking for them. We go through life and we think our flaws disqualify us. We go through life and we think that we were going to be such a good Christian. This was going to be such a great church. This church was going to be everything I wanted it to be. I was going to be everything in that church that God wanted me to be. It was all going to be great. But there were bumps. There were bruises. There were things that happened that caused cracks, that caused, that caused spillage, that caused loss. 
in my heart and my life. So what am I going to do? I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep acting like I'm a good believer. I'm going to keep doing everything. But what I'm not really going to do is I'm really not going to try to penetrate darkness. I'm not going to try to push through it. I'm not going to exert all of my strength and all of my effort because, after all, I've already failed. I might not be qualified, but what if, what if our philosophy is wrong? What if instead of us thinking that God's economy is also a throwaway economy, we understand that God doesn't throw people away, that he doesn't throw you away, that your cracks and your blemishes, that the places where you leak are not shameful things to him, but they are in point of fact by the pressure of the spirit that lives on the inside of you, this is why you need strength to grasp it. The pressure and the quality of the life that's on the inside of you not only finds those cracks, but fills those cracks. So that at some point, at some point in your life, not only do you have to offer to God the things you did right, the things that you didn't mess up, the things that are unblemished, however few they may be, they become increasingly precious. But you can present your life to him as a cracked, wounded vessel that has allowed his spirit to penetrate into the cracks, into the chips, into the blemishes, and taint and color. Um, I happen to become aware of a Japanese art form here in the last year or two, and I'm not going to talk to you about art per se, except to explain what this is, and it's called, in my English tongue, kintsugi, and I think that's right. It happened on this wise. Long about the 1500s sometime, there was a Japanese warlord, a shogun, who had his favorite teacup. You know, we all have our favorite teacup. Why we do, I don't know. But we have a favorite teacup. I was drinking a cup of coffee this morning and happened to turn the cup around and realized it wasn't my favorite teacup. And the first thing I thought was, that coffee wasn't very good. <laughs> that coffee wasn't right. It's not my favorite cup. That can't be good coffee. We need to lose this cup and go back and get our right cup. Yeah, we, we do this. We do this about every part of our life. This Japanese warlord ruled some portion of the earth for the empire. Broke his cup, broke his tea service, which is very important in that culture, I understand. And even as a grown warrior man said, I'm not willing to dispose of this. So he sent it back to Japan to be repaired. In the style, the technology of the day, it came back repaired, as the custom was. But it was basically stapled together. And he said, this is not what I was looking for. This is ugly. So on some fashion, he sent it back and said, either told him what to do or said, find another plan or there's going to be trouble. And they came up with the brilliant idea that they would make a rosin, that they would make a glue. And instead of trying to hide the cracks and the blemishes, they would put gold in this rosin and this glue. And that they would paint it. That the, and as the paint went on, it developed a philosophy that the cracks and the blemishes and the wrong spots you got in your life, the bad places in your marriage, the bad places in your economy, the bad places in your attitude, that in those horrible places where the pressure of the Spirit of God is able to soak and to drip His way into you and change you, 
what was once something to be hidden, what was once something to be ashamed of, now reflects the beauty and the glory of God. Because everybody can look at you and say, once David and Jean's marriage was not good. David and Jean made a marriage and it was not a good marriage that they made. But now they have a good marriage. But David and Jean were not clever enough, smart enough, strong enough to make that marriage. So somebody else had to make that marriage. Church, family, money, anything in your life that's way down deep inside, that's not been encountered by the Spirit of God, that's still flawed, but that you don't open up your heart and say, by your love, come into this place in my life and remake my attitude. Remake my belief system. That's frightening. Show me what you think a prayer life is. Show me, show me how I should read my Bible. You teach me and lead me and guide me. Let me take my emphasis off the people around me and put my emphasis on you, and I step into your light and change me. I think I'm pretty cool like I am. I think I'm okay just like I am. Nobody else knows I'm not okay. But what if I step across that line, and he reaches down, and he changes some fundamental value or belief or thought that you've got that makes you into a whole new person? And one thing you know, Cameron, and this is the only thing you know, bud, is whatever it is, the only thing any of us know, is that whatever it is, has got to be for the better. Whether we would judge it as better or not, I don't know. But he says, if you'll let me make you into what I want you to be, it's better for you, it's better for me. And when you do things and you allow things in your life that make the world a better place for God, don't ever forget he owes you something, and he'll pay it. He says, well, you can do this if you want to, but it'd be my preference that you did this. Then you say, I want to do what you want me to do, because when you do that, when you do that, it's not only better for you, it's better for everybody around you, it's better for him, and he rewards those that diligently seek that. So at the end of your days, you might be a cracked, broken vessel. So all your stuff about money and relationships and all your fears and all your anger and all your jealousy and all your envy and all your, all your things that you thought would magically be washed away when you got born again that are still there. But at the end of your days, at the end of your days, to the degree that you've let that presence Touch your heart with something that's more precious than gold, more precious than silver, so that you're beautified. You're made unique. You're made rare. Not because you were not broken and cast aside, but you're made rare because you endured, you endured the system, you endured the effort, you endured the work of God to rebuild you, to reshape your life, to make you, to make you truly what you are, one of a kind, of great value in his sight, 
for all the world to see. That's why it takes strength to comprehend the love of God. And that's where it starts, with an understanding. Not that you just have to love people, but that he loved you enough to seam you back together with something more precious than gold. He loved you well enough when your marriage broke down to come along and say, we can stitch this back together, but the stitches that I've got, the stitches that I've got won't leave a scar. The stitches that I've got are, are not like cat gut. The stitches that I've got are, are like platinum lines that everyone will look at and see the beauty. The ashes that you turned over turned to beauty because of my work. Stand up with me if you would. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.